a listener production. Howdy, you are listening to episode 122 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring boxing legend Jeff Fennick. Let's keep punching. We get to your first world title fight, the IBF bantamweight title. Seven fights I've got written here, so the third fastest ever to get the opportunity to be a world champion. In that, we'll get to that particular fight, but what are you doing? I had a chat with Robert Whitaker who I'm sure you know, Jeff, and I know nothing about MMA, and we talked about preparation and when you're stepping into the octagon. An hour before a fight, when you are stepping in at your weight, 50-odd kilos, knowing the opponent's whole role is to physically stop you, to knock you out at the end of the day, how are you going about your physical and mental preparation the day of, an hour before, et cetera? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, every... Most people thought I'd lose because I was so inexperienced and that was my seventh pro fight, and I would only... I'd never gone the distance and none of my fights had all, I'd won them all by knockout and this was a 15 round fight. Well, it's hard to go the distance when you knock the other six punters out. Like, you can't do anything about well, that. They, they, this was a 15 round fight and I'm fighting the world champion. So, yep. I had all the doubters and that. But like I said, um, it's what we went back to before preparation's everything. And although people were saying to me, he's never done 15 rounds, I've done 15 rounds on. 10 or 20 occasions prior to the fight getting ready for this fight. So I knew I could do it with different opponents and bigger guys and stronger guys. So I knew, well, like I said, of course I was confident of winning, not that I was 100% sure that I was, but I I was prepared for the fight. I was prepared to to do whatever it took to, to become world champion. And I, like I said, I've done that. And um, Is there ever, is, it, is, it, is there fear? Like, do you feel fear before you step into a ring? Like, how do you control your natural instinct? Yeah, of course you feel fear, um, but it's, um, you, you've got to, as soon as that, those negative thoughts come, you've got to think of all the hard work you've done. You think, I've done this before, I'm ready for this, this is, this is what I do, this is what I live for. And, um, yeah, you just go out there and you do your job, and um, that's how I was. So in the ninth round, against Shingaki at Horden Pavilion. They introduced you as, I watch this, Jeff. They introduced you, they introduced you, and they say he's wearing the green trunks with gold band and piping. It's the way you're sure to describe. From the blue corner, scaling eight stone, five pounds, wearing green trunks with gold band and pipings from Marrickville, Australia. Undefeated challenger, Jeff Take me through the last 20 seconds in the ninth round. What happened in the ring and then what happens when the other bloke's down and you are the champion of the world? That's the one fight in my whole boxing career that I was tired in. I think that I used up so much nervous energy prior to the event and, like, in the dressing room, I was punching the walls and doing all this crazy stuff. And then, I, yeah, I don't, it, it was... It was a, a bit of a blur, but of course I, I knew every time I, I, I hit him and hurt him, I jumped on him straight away. That was, that's my instinct. My instinct is as soon mm-hmm. as I hit somebody and hurt them, don't give him another opportunity. Oh, Fennick threw a big right hand, nearly threw himself out of the ring. There, Shingaki dropped his hands, and Fennick gave him something to go on with. Another right hand got through. Shingaki won't give up. Look, when the referee stopped it, I was uh, I was more than happy. Like the referee stopped it in the ninth round because then my opponent was looking at his corner. He didn't want to take no more punishments. A display of sheer guts and courage from the world champion. 
as he battles to retain his title against the Tiger from the back streets of Marrickville in Sydney. Looking at the referee now saying, please, how much longer is this going on? Oh, oh. And from Fennec. That stood him up. On the break, McTavish got him to break them and Fennec cut him loose. For me, it was an amazing, yeah, wow. I, don't, I can't even describe it because, like I said, I never ever dreamed of, of being a fighter. My dream was to be a first-grade rugby league player. So to do something in such a short time was totally amazing. But I loved it. I loved that thing that I went out there on my own. And the, the, the thing that I loved the most, Howie, was that I was able to go back to my trainer, Johnny Lewis, and say, hey, you were right. I've done everything that you said I could do. I was going to be world champion one day. I've done it for you. And that was my gift to him. That it I didn't really care about myself at all. It was about the people who gave me that opportunity, who who believed in me, who got me there. That's why that's why I won the world title. Well, there it is, a real rocky story right in front of your eyes, live from Sydney's Horton Pavilion tonight. As the boy from Marrickville, Jeff Fennig, does it, his dream comes true, and he becomes the Bantamweight Boxing Champion of the World. And with the formalities, the formal announcement, your ring announcer, Ray Connolly. Ladies and gentlemen, in two minutes, 43 seconds of the ninth round, the winner, and now International Boxing Federation Bantamweight Champion of the World, Jeff Bennett. And what happens with the belt? Like, they put the belt on you, like, do you wear the belt round for three days or do you put it on the breakfast bar? So you're going to hear a great story now. So the belt, usually they bring a belt just in case the champion loses. But they didn't think I was going to win, so they didn't bring a belt. Ah. So I'm, I'm parading with the champion's belt, which I didn't know at the time. And then all of a sudden, they told me to give it back. I said, where's mine? They said, oh, they'll send yours in two weeks. I said, go and jump in the shit house. Mate, I, I took his belt. I took it home. I'm not going to go home without a belt. I just become world champion. So I took his belt. They gave him the new belt. So we talked, that's a, a great story, Jeff. We talked about earlier on about fame. Does life change overnight when you become the champion of the world or not, or it doesn't happen that quickly? I'll tell you something I'll never forget back then. I got, I got, I got paid $20,000, but I remember saying to one of my friends, I said, man, if I get another $20,000, I'm retiring. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> I'm going to be, I told my best friend, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be rich. If I get another 20 grand, I'm out of here. You know, that's how I felt, you know. Well, but, 20, 100, million, so yeah, 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 it's never enough. What's the most you ever fought for? Can you talk to me about that? I don't, I don't know what's on the public record or not. Oh, yeah, when I fought Nelson in the rematch, I got yeah, a couple of million. A couple of million. So without being crass, like do you wake up two days later and open your bank account and it's like, wow, like nah, how does it work? I've, I've never looked, I've never had any control of any of my stuff. My, well, my, yeah, I've never seen what money went like, of course, I pay my trainer his percentage and pay whatever you got to pay, and then uh, yeah, then the money goes in the, in the account. And uh, but yeah, I've never, never in my life have I um, looked in, a, in one of my bank books. <laughs> never in my life, not to this day. <laughs> to this day, my wife does all my my wife does all my banking. Back when I was fighting, my sister was my managed all my accounts. And everything I never looked. No, none of that bothers me. We're talking about money. We'll get to Nelson, obviously. I, I had a look at a few ads, Jeff. Now, like ads, how big you were, you've got 
Champion spark. How many how many ads have I done? Never been done in the history of this of, of any sport. Let me know. Tell me one athlete that's done more ads than me. Tell me one. Well, I I don't know, but give me a couple that you've done because I've written down a couple that I'm going to play the people. Well, you tell me what you've written down. Okay. Champion spark plugs. Yep. Like Jeff Fennick, every individual plug is truly a guaranteed Australian champion, supported by Australians. Uh, what do we got here? Chiswell Furniture from Keith Lord Furniture. Keith Lord, yep. Hi, I'm Jeff Fennick, and you shouldn't have to go to this much trouble to get Sydney's best deal on Chiswell Furniture. Keith Lord have floored the opposition with their huge discounts on Chiswell Furniture. There's one called Frontline Travel. Frontline Travel, Blue Haven Pools. If you want a pool or spa this summer, do what I did. See the experts, Blue Haven Pools. Sharp TVs? Yeah. Bite whites that pack more punch than Jeff Fennick. It's simply the best from Sharp. There's one. There's one that fascinated me. I'm not even sure what it was for. I don't know if you can remember. So you're running along the road and old mate pulls up in a ute. Yeah. Hey, mate. Are you Jeff Fennick? That's right. It's a call for you. And he hand is It was a travel a agency. It was a travel agency. Oh, that was frontline travel, was it? Who was that then? Frontline travel. Only travel with the best, mate. Be on top. Move fast. Anytime, anywhere. Frontline travel. But I've done sandboy <laughs> chips. I've done, you know, I've done so many. It's, it's crazy. So back then, I was a pretty big name in Australia, and I, I'm so proud of what I've done. Well, that's what I'm. That's why I'm saying it to people so they can understand how big you were. Take me into any of those. You might not have a story, but take me into an ad shoot. Like you, you get there, like just take me into a shoot where you made an ad sometime somewhere. Yeah, well, one of the first ones that I was Keith Lord, and I, I remember they said, "Listen, um, don't don't rush to do this. It's going to take you, uh, you know, it'll take you like ten or twenty or thirty thirty go." I did them all pretty quick. I was pretty. Um, I don't know, I was pretty good at it early, but, like, yeah, so I am, um, you know, like, I did it in a few takes, which made me really proud, but doing champion spark plugs, doing doing the first ever computer for, for, for Sharp was amazing. From title-winning notebook computers, laptops with full 386 SX power to the ultimate 386 colour portable, Sharp personal computers, lightweights that back more punch than Jeff Fennick. But like I said, um, and all those people are still my great friends today, you know, like... The people from Reebok, all those people from that I that have sponsored me all those years are still all great friends of mine, and I'm very proud to say that. Okay. 987, Super Bantamweight. We spoke about Parker Roon where we thought that was the first time you said we love you all. So that was your second world title in a different weight division. They're the only thing that's getting Jeff Fennick tired is throwing punches. Another warning there to Fennick to stop pushing. He's hitting Parker Roon at will now. The tie, the tie boxer is down, he's out, he's finished, it's over. Fennec is the winner, Fennec is the world champion. Fennec is finished, Fennec. What a sensational finish to this fight. A tremendous knockout by Jeff Fennec in the Super Bantamweight. History here is made tonight. The winner, now World Boxing Council, Super Bantamweight champion of the world, Jeff Fennec. 988 in the featherweight versus the Puerto Rican Callejas. Callejas? Victor Callejas. So at this stage, now you're a world champion in three different weight divisions. For those that don't follow boxing, and I had to read about this, explain 
the heightened position you are in world boxing now? Because you're starting to go into rarefied air now, Jeff, in, in the time. Well, I was the, one of Roberto Duran, Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns were the only other three-time world champions. They'd all been defeated. I was the first to do it undefeated. And in the shortest hist- the shortest time in history, in, you know, in like, um, I don't know, uh, in under 20-odd fights, whatever it was, yeah, the, the, the yeah. 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 So we get to 1991. You're trying for four, your fourth division world title. You're fighting Azuma Nelson. At the Mirage. At the Mirage. The Mirage Hotel. The Mirage was. It was it, and it was a big outdoor style operation. It was the new hotel. The, the Mirage Hotel had just been built. It was the billion, the first billion-dollar hotel in Vegas, and they had the fight night there. Okay, yeah. so tell me what it's like as an Australian to go to Vegas on the undercard of Tyson, who was the biggest athlete on the planet then, no doubt, and a fight, like, you're talking about being fated and being famous. I'm sure this was a whole nother level. Yeah, well, I did what I thought was right. Um, I went there seven weeks before to make sure that I went to pay for that, like, a, had a massive entourage, but we paid, we stayed at, and instead of staying on the strip, yeah. we stayed in a beautiful little hotel off the strip. So um, we were un- uninterrupted, done my own work and, you know, all that kind of stuff. No casinos around and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we um, went there early and we trained really, really hard. And um, I watched Azuma Nelson on many occasions. I, you know, I, I just thought that I had the style to beat him. I mean, everybody that I fought thought they had the style to, to beat me, but nobody did. I was still undefeated then. And um, this was going to be my fourth world title. And um, nobody had ever done that undefeated either. Jeff Bennett, the Thunder from Down Under, has hopes of adding Nelson's crown to his already impressive collection. Nelson has never lost a fight as a super featherweight. Fennec has never lost any professional fight. Now he's at the brink of becoming only the fourth man in boxing history to win world titles in more than three weight divisions. For people to know, Floyd Mayweather won, won his four world titles in 10 years. That was my sixth year of boxing when I fought for my fourth world title. And I had like two years off with my hand operations and broken hands and stuff. So I'd had like three or four operations prior to that that kept me out of boxing for a while. So that was in six years. So before we get to what happened on that fight, because your hands are a very famous part of your story, tell me about what happened and then how on earth it's like a – how does a boxer fight with a broken hand? It's like a footballer playing with a broken foot. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I did. I did. I did something that nobody has ever done, and nobody no. will ever do. I've so how would you first? How would you first do it? What happened? As an amateur, I, well, my, I, I don't know for sure, but my see that knuckle there, that yeah, used to stick geez. out that far until I got. Um, they still stick out a little, but until I got, well, um, I got wedges cut into both my hands and pins put into both to lock them down to stay there. But they never stayed. They always came back. Howie, so I had multiple operations and I'll never forget that one of our great surgeons, Dr. Bruce Shepard, said to me, Jeff, never in my history of operating on anybody that when he was cutting the wedge out and broke my finger down and pinning me, he said, you were screaming under anaesthetic. He said, I've never, you know, and anyway, and after he said, he said to all of us, I don't know how this person's ever been able to throw a punch with hands, you know, like that. But like I said, um, in my fights, like I said, in, in most probably 80% of my fights, um, my hands were bruised or broken or swollen, bigger than the gloves and there. So um, I'm pretty proud of what I've done. People don't realise that, like I said, tell me an Olympic runner who won a race with, 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 a, with, a, with, a, you know, with a with a broken leg. I've, done, I've, I've fought all my fights, all my fights, under duress, when I won my first Australian title, me and my trainer Johnny Lewis sat up all night with my hands in ice, so I so I could pass the doctor because I didn't want the doctor to see how 
how bad they were. And as the doctor's pushing my fingers, instead of saying, ouch, I'm just blotting my teeth so I can fight again, you know? So before we get to Vegas, the great thing about this podcast is people that have succeeded have had ups and downs and they've had to overcome. What have you learned about overcoming pain? Because I can't imagine what it's like knowing as soon as you hit someone that's, you describe it to me as an explosion of pain in your hand. Like, How does it feel and how do you overcome it, Jeff? Yeah, if I hit them on the on the head or if I hit them on the chin or if I hit them on the elbow, I, I would be in as much pain as they were at the time. So I learnt not to punch as hard and to pull the punch a little bit. So I had to do that a lot. And um, that's why I didn't really knock a lot of people out towards the end of my career. But um, I, I, and I, knocked, I never knocked them out with one punch. Uh, Howie, I knocked them out with multiple punches, with, you know, like volume punches. So instead of throwing five or six good punches, I'd throw hopefully like 150 every round, you know, and I would wear them out that way and then the referee would stop the fight or else they would just surrender. And that's how I won all my fights, through my fitness. And, like, I knew I was going to have the pain because I, I had the pain when I trained as well. How would you deal with it? How would you overcome it? Um, I had a, a masseur who I took all around the world with me. I had, a, I had a massage every single day. I had to have my hands put in hot water, not ice. I used to put them in hot water every day so I could use them the next day because if I put them in ice, it would just um, – it would – just stem the swelling and stuff like that, but the hot water made me be able to use them again every day. And um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to win. I was on, a, I was on this crazy winning streak with all the odds stacked against me, and I, I was still able to win. Do they still hurt you today or not? Um, yeah, if I punch somebody in the head, they will. But so I try not, <laughs> I try not to do that. But no, I've got, I get pains here and there. But I'm, I'm blessed. I don't. They, they, they said I'd have really bad arthritis. I don't have arthritis. I feel pretty good. Okay, so the Azuma-Nelson fight, as I said, they introduced you this time as the thunder from down under, real original stuff. He never faced somebody like me before, and this is going to be his first fight, his first time facing somebody like me, you know, and I'm going to see how, how much, how much uh, sharks he can take from me, from first to 12th round. Nobody in the world fights like I do, right? We can go through a lot of fighters and... Um, I mean, if you sit down and watch some tapes and, and watch them closely, nobody can cut the ring off like, like I can. And I believe that when Azuma also steps in the ring with me and I make him fight, I know that he'll fight. He's a champion. He's a, he's a great warrior. And I know that he'll fight, but for how long is another thing. Las Vegas is where boxing stars come to shine. A successful title defense for Nelson could be cashed in for even more lucrative paydays. Yes, the road to superstardom goes through this neon valley. And Fennec has come to America to stake his claim. Coming up, the WBC Super Featherweight Championship. Champion Azuma Nelson versus challenger Jeff Fennec. Awarded a draw after 12 rounds. The commentators were saying, you never know in Las Vegas, but this is a clear-cut win to Fennec. Fennec all over Nelson. Azuma fighting from memory, but it's now history. What a fight. I have it 117 to 111 or nine rounds to three. I think that may be a little bit too ample, but certainly you have to think that if you didn't keep score, the winner of this fight is Fennec. One never knows in Las Vegas, but even here, this has got to be a clear-cut win for Fennec. Then the announcement came through, which 
seemed to just devastate you and it was described as mind-boggling. That's what the commentators say on the night. 12 rounds of boxing, we have a split decision, a draw, the decision is even a draw. Oh, goodness, that is mind-boggling. And look at the reaction by Jeff Fennick. He is in total disbelief. No way, he says, it's a draw. Yeah, it was more than mind-boggling to me, like I said, Em. The, the thing that hurt me the most, Harry, was that Azuma Nelson, after the fight, was walking around with his hands in the air, thinking, of course, he's, Do- he's Don King's boy. So they, you know, the, the, And that really, that, that's the one thing I, I, I hate about the sport of boxing. Mm. Listen, I know if you fight me, you punch my head in. In the, in the 12th round, I held him up from falling down. And they, yeah. they lost his mouth guard to give him an extra, an extra rest, which was great. Gamesmanship, great corner work. But he never won. I won, I won at least nine rounds out of 12. At least nine and um, mm. for him to put his hands up, pretty disappointing, but that's that's boxing and you know, that's how they are, that's they still do it today. But like I said, um I was robbed of um a lot that night because I don't I don't ever think that I was the same person after it. However, I think it robbed me of my of my soul and my, my love for the sport. Although I was getting more money and that all that like I said, none of that really matters. It's it's it was my inner my inner self and my inner strength. I was there seven weeks, I trained my backside off, I done everything. And a couple of guys are able to to rob me, you know, of, of everything I've done. They never ran every morning. They never fought with broken hands, but they sat there and they, and, and they cheated. They, 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 you know, they, they were – and if they didn't cheat, they, they, shouldn't, they should be sacked immediately. If you can't do your job, you get the sack. They, the, guys, the guy who gave it to Azuma Nelson and the – well, the guy who gave – let me tell you this story just so people know. The, the judge who gave it to Azuma Nelson has never judged again because – when he watched the fight, when he went back home, or when he the realism hit him that he he know he knew he'd done something for Don King, he retired. He's never 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 judged again. Wow. I'll, I'll ask you about Don King in a moment because he pops up on the clip. I want to ask you about him. But before we get to him, you said it it changed you and your approach to boxing. I'll ask you about losing at some point. But what is it like when you're then you you walk out of the ring and you know you've won? The sporting world, the boxing world knows you've won. They know that all of a sudden you should have been a four-division world champion and you're being let out of the ring and you're not and you've been robbed. How, how does an athlete cope with that, Jeff? Well, again, um, I was devastated. All I want to do was get the tr- on the plane to go home. I got the earliest plane. As I get to the airport, people were clapping me, patting me on the back because everybody watched, of course, because of Mike Tyson was the main event. So we had millions of viewers. But everywhere I went, and, and, that, and that changed me as well, mate. When I got home, I'm a bigger hero through having a draw than winning and losing. And, uh, again, my um, yeah, I lost total focus of what I, I, I needed to do. You know? All right, I just so told Azuma Nelson that it was a great fight. I thought you won it. I had your head, but as the man standing next to you, promoter Don King, just said, this was one of the great fights we have seen. No question, your courage is unquestioned. Your boxing ability is encouraged. I, no question, I never saw a guy with the energy you've got. Now, Don King is one of the premier promoters. You just said something to me. Yes, I said this is too good a fight. There is no loser. This fight has got to be a return match. And Jeff you just said, let's do that. another 12 right now. Yeah, I'll do it now. You, you thought you were ahead of this fight. Oh, you was ahead. D- Don King, so he's immediately talking that you're a great fighter 
and rematch, rematch, rematch. Let me tell you, you have only fought in American television twice. This is one of the premier promoters in, in television. Had this guy been fighting on television in America with that style, where would it be in popularity? It would be soaring, but we're going to make sure it gets it in that style because we're going to let the play the delay tape. But I'm going to tell you something, uh, Jeff. You fought excellent. There is no loser. I told everybody in the country that will listen to me that this was going to be the vintage fight of the evening, that you were a Tasmanian devil, a thunder from down under, that you were coming for a war, and a war you fought him. Can't nobody question. All right, 12 complete rounds of fighting. All right. I'll, I'll come back and fight him in, in two months. As long as I'm the main event here and I fight here, I'll, no problems. Now, this could be a four-hour discussion, which you don't have the time to do, but talk to me about Don King as much as you can say, your dealings with him, and what can happen in the world of boxing. We've got to realise that these, the, these judges and referees, he, he employs them. He puts fights on them. They work for him, so... Even if they're not cheats, they're always trying to do the right thing by Don King because they know the next the next big show is a Don King show and he'll say, I want this person, I want that person. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy world. Listen, the referees and judges should just be chosen by the organisation and not be allowed to get to the fight till the day of the fight, not, no. just not see the promoter, not see anybody, be locked in a room and just be honest because, like I said, um, they don't get up every morning and run. They don't get punched in the face every day. They just sit on their big... Backsides, and some of them never had a fight in their life, but they know that boxing is a is a, a vehicle for them to travel the world. They go to Bangkok and they have their little parties there because they're boxing judges. They're looked after. They're wined. They're dined by the promoters around the world, and they, and they, and automatically they become systematically on on that on that promoter side because they they brought them to another part of the world and they're buying them dinners and giving them drinks and sending girls to their rooms and all of a sudden what do you think they're going to do when the fight's close? But my fight wasn't even close and they still don't have to No. Me. So what What type of, like what were your experience with Don King? Like how do you describe the man? Like he's legendary in boxing for what he's done for his fighters and for what he's taken away from other fighters. I, I, that's my well, listen, outside what you got to realise is this, that Don King, although he says he's made more millionaires than anybody else and he has, but he's made himself more money than them. And um, that's when you hear these stories about him. But like I said, for me, I was getting $100,000 here. I signed a, a $5 million deal. I mean, what am I going to say, no? And, and not just that, but like I said, um, for him to give me $5 million, he must have thought, well, I'm going to make $50 million from this, you know? I'm going to, you know, he could see that the, 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 the long-term picture, you know? So, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've got really nothing against Don, but like I said, I've got... I got um, something against the people who who admired him and looked up to him and cherished him and thought, oh, wow, Jeff Phoenix, this kid from Australia, Azuma Nelson's his father. Let's make sure Azuma Nelson. And that's 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 what it's like, which is which is really terrible. Because like I said, these guys never run in the morning. They just sit on their ass and get paid to do a job. And like I said, in the world, if you can't do a job, you get the sack. None of those guys ever get the sack. They're, they're, the next fight, they're working again, they're, and they're doing the same thing. More of Jeff in a moment. Way, way, way back on episode two of the show, we featured multiple world champion Danny Green. Episode two, check it out. Thanks to Greeny, by the way, for coming on the show when it was really just an idea at that stage. It was really cool of him. Anyway, Danny spoke about all sorts, including his rivalry with Anthony Mundine. And he was introduced by a four-year-old big penguin who was more really the little penguin at that stage. Hang on, fair big penguin here. Please send Daddy on a message on Twitter or Facebook at MarkHow03. That's my daddy. Tell him what you think about the Howie games. Did you miss episode two with Danny Green, the green machine? I hope not. 
It was epic, especially the man, mundane stuff. I went back to the to the to the change rooms and I um I cried, but I didn't cry because I lost to Anthony Mundine. I waited till I got back to the change rooms and I waited there and waited till the doors were shut and then I you know then I, I kind of I broke down, but I broke down for not because I um you know lost a fight and I was going through a lot. My family going through a hell of a lot at that stage. You know my brother had, had lost his daughter um you know eight weeks before the fight. His four-month-old daughter, Sophie, didn't wake up one morning. So, you know, that really puts it into perspective, mate. It kind of, it happened before the fight and uh, I didn't really give two f***s about losing a fight or winning a fight. That is Danny Green on episode two of the podcast. Let's get back to the Marrickville Mauler. So we'll get to Princess Park with the rematch versus Azuma Nelson here in Melbourne where I am now. You talked about losing focus. What does that mean in your world? Yeah, well, what, what it done to me after that fight, because I was such a big star, I'd done commercials for Dewey's. Um, I've got my life story just about to be to be written. I'm doing, got my own clothing line just come out. And on top of that, I'm doing appearances and every every girl that modelled on the day would come back and I'd wine and dine with them. And, yeah, I... I I've done everything that you shouldn't do prior to the biggest fight of my life. So stepping into the ring to take on Nelson in your 28th fight, so your 26 wins, one draw, the draw you've had with him. Undefeated in 27 contests, 26 victories, 19 inside the distance, one draw. Member of the exclusive 11 to have won world championships in three different weight divisions. Consummating prophecy of supernova infinity, challenger Jeff Fennec. Do you know within yourself that you're not as prepared as you had been or could be or should be or not? Or can you push that away? Definitely so. I, I was having – back then I had asthma and stuff and I had my doctor giving me all these tablets in the mornings every day and it was really wheezy and windy down there. And, uh, yeah, as we know, we had a crazy storm prior to the fight. But, yeah, I yeah. although I knew, I just thought, wow, if that's the guy I'm going to fight that I, I just bashed for 12 rounds, I'll do that again. It'll just start round 13 and I'll be straight back on top of him. Yeah. yeah he worked his backside off. The, the the president of Ghana told him not to come to Australia. Don't go and embarrass yourself. You can't win. He said he's going to come here and he's going to knock me out. He done it. He was super prepared where I was very, very underprepared. I still trained. I trained every day, but I'd done, I'd done things that I'd never done before in my life. Like, you know, um, like I said, well, I'll give you after the fight. Yeah. After the fight, when I got knocked out for the first time in my life and lost. The end fighting rages on. And that's exactly what Fennec wanted. That's a hook. Right there it is. Right there it is. And down goes Fennec for the third time of the fight. Wait a minute. Arthur McKenney steps in and it's all over. It's all over. It's going to throw in the towel, Steve. They threw in the towel and it was all over. Azuma Nelson knocks out Jeff Fennec here in the eighth round of the Fennec corner, throwing the towel. Kerry Packer seen me, and Kerry um, immediately, we uh, went, spent some time together, and he said to me, are you okay? And I told him how I was feeling. I told him about 
the asthma and stuff like that. And then um, um, I told him about the injections that I had to get prior to the fight because I, uh, for, my, for the pain in my hands. And um, he said to me, Jeff, you got to do me a little favour, son. I said, yeah, what is it? He said, I'm going to send you to a neurologist in the morning. I think, you know, something's wrong with you. And I said, what's a neurologist? He told me. And I said, no problem, Mr. Packer. Of course, out of respect. So my sister takes me to a neurologist in the morning. Um, my doctor that that prior to the fight, who's still my great friend today, um, well, I think, you know, um, he injected me with enough Marcane to have an operation the next day. My doctor... In your, for your hands? Yeah, for my hands. My doctor came into my dressing room. No, oh, I'm a liar. Geez. I seen my doctor at about nine in the morning as I was up having breakfast because we were fighting. It was a lunchtime fight. And when my doctor spoke to me, the alcohol on his breath near knocked me out. All right. So my doctor was out all night, of course, in Team Fennec. They're all partying because Jeff's going to knock his room and else down this next day. Right. The first, let me tell you, let me tell let me tell this, just so you know. So when I got tested, like I told you, I had enough Marcane still in my system. They could have chopped my hand off. He said I wouldn't have felt it. All right. But but forget that. The first needle that I got that day, and I've, I've never said this on a podcast, but I want to let you know. Please do. The first needle that my doctor injected me with because, um, Johnny Lewis had Virgil Hill fighting. We had Costa Zoo fighting. So, um, which for me, he's the biggest fight of my life and my trainer's not even with me, you know. My trainer's out in the ring because we all thought I was going to win. But that first injection I got, he put into my left hand. It went through my index knuckle and into my knuckle, my first knuckle on my right hand. He put it right through my hand. That's how sober he still was. At, that was at 2 o'clock oh. in the afternoon. So I got a needle that oh. went through my knuckle into my other knuckle. So he injected my he injected the other hand. Anyway, to cut a long story short, that's not an excuse either. That's not an excuse at all. But they were some of the things that I went through prior to that fight. So then, of course, he cleaned it up. He injected that hand, injected my other hand. I went out and fought in them. I was nowhere. I was I was just shadow of, of of the Jeff Phoenix that I was in Las in Las Vegas. But like I said, no excuses, and and that's not an excuse for me losing. Azuma Nelson went home prepared and worked better than Jeff Phoenix did, and he knocked me out. All credit to him. I love the guy. I think he's one of the greatest fighters in history, and um, I take my hat off to him every time I hear his name. So, from someone that cannot understand the position you're in, twenty seven fights in. You've had one draw, but 26 wins. You're undefeated, so you haven't tasted defeat. What does being knocked out, what does defeat do to the psyche of a boxer? Do you, do you go from being invincible in your own mind to a little crack there or no? Oh, definitely so. Oh, I know, yeah. You ask yourself lots of questions, you know, and then you uh, then you realise um, all those people that you thought loved you and were around you and they're all, you know, in other areas and talking and you hear all these stories and rumours about why this happened, why that happened, and then you all of a sudden think, wow, this was supposed to be a, a team. This is a, you know, well, this was supposed to be a chain. Uh, a chain has 12 links on it. If one's broken, the chain's no longer a strong chain anymore. And, and lots of my links in my team were broken then, and uh, we tried to repair them over time, but um, I learned one thing that um, once that chain's broken, it never, it's, it's, it's really never repairable. It's never a new chain anymore. Your overall record, Jeff, 33 wins, three losses, a draw, 21 by KO. Like you are a legend, you know, a Hall of Famer in Australia, a Boxing World Hall of Fame. When you look back on it, you seem to be a man that got everything, everything 
out of yourself that you possibly could. And surely that's all an athlete can ask for. Like you're you're a legend of Australian sport. I don't say that lightly, but the numbers and the way you did it and the way you captured the attention and love of the people, it, it's 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 pretty special stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like I said, you, you just saying it gives me gives me chills and buzzes because, like I said, um, the one thing you did say is, like I said, even though when I when I lost and when I still did things that I shouldn't have done, I still went out there thinking that I was going to win. I was going to, I mean, I was invincible. I never, I never doubted myself. I always thought I'd, I'd go back to the office, which was the boxing wing, and I'd, and I'd be all right again. I'd find, I'd find the way. But um, boxing is such a different sport. It's an individual sport. Once it's gone, once you, you start getting hit and hurt, yeah, you can't. There's no remedy for it. You can't. It's not like having a damaged hand or a damaged knee or a, a, a sore ankle. Once um, your, um, your chin and your, your, your resistance to getting hit. Goes, it, it, it's gone, and um, it's you know, it's a, a message that I am really happy that I've put myself through because I'll never let any of my fighters go through what I went through. I'll always be, I'll always stop the fight early rather than late. Even if they could have went on to win, I'd much prefer to to give them that opportunity to to be better and healthier people in their life after boxing. Um, I look at brain damage and stuff that I've done out of my brain to to um to the Brain Institute when I pass away because I want people to to learn uh, to learn. Um, all about the different things that, that happen when you get hit in the head too many times. Do you worry about that? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, uh, there are times that, you know, like today, um, I knew I had to speak to you, so I had to have it written down because, um, yeah, my, um, not that I, I don't know, I've got, that I've got things on, but I just thought that I better write it down or else I'm going to feel there are days where I tell somebody I'm going to meet them at 11 o'clock and I'm an hour away, wow, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to drive back. But, yeah, yeah, I do worry about it. But um, I don't worry about myself because I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I've got a beautiful family. I've got money. and But I care about other people. I care about the people who weren't blessed to have been world champions and have money and have to be able to get help if you need it. I care about those people. I care about them a lot. That's why I've done it in my brain. That's why I go out and I speak up publicly for it. I care about anything I'm doing. People think I don't like him. The other reason why I said that he shouldn't be fighting is because he's going to get hurt. He's got children and I want them to make sure that he can, that he can give them everything they need when he's, when he's in his 40s, which he's now, when he's in his 50s and 60s, when, when this, um, this disease gets progressively worse. I didn't care about if he makes a hundred squilly million dollars, but I do care about him as a human. I do care that he has got children. He's a beautiful dad. He's, you know, so I, yeah. So when people think, ah, Jeff Finney doesn't want anything Monday, what's he talking about? I've, I've been there and I've got hurt. I've, I've, I've seen the ramifications. The other reason why I talk and the reason why I say things is because I, I don't want it to happen to anybody else. So the ramifications, the way you describe it, is it worth it? Oh, I wouldn't know. Of course, I will, you know, um, one million percent it was worth that. Well, listen, when I fought, I fought to those three losses that I had, I got knocked out three times. There was no, no other way they are going to take me out. I'm not going to get walk out of the ring running around and holding. And, you either knock me out, I'm knocking you out, or I'm, I'm winning. It's not, you know, bam. No, I, I don't regret it one bit. Um, would, I have, uh, would I have changed anything? Might not change a million things. And people say I'll change nothing. I'll change a million things. But guess what? It's history. We can't change it. Yep. We can't change it. We're just going to go on and all I can do now, like I said, is, is try to help people to make it a safer sport, a better sport, and make people more aware, more aware of when people get concussed, even if it's in training, they need to rest. If it means you've got to cancel their fight to give them that little opportunity to get better, cancel their bloody fight. So you had such a long history in the game. I only got a few more questions for you. You've been so bloody good with your time, mate. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, a, it's a great podcast. And I, I really appreciate your time and your honesty. Hey, your relationship with Mike Tyson, 
tell me about your relationship and what you've learned from him and what you've taught him along the way. Um, I've learned a lot from Mike. Like I said, I've learned that um, that nobody's bigger than the sport. Mike, Mike's the most one of the most humblest guys ever. I just love that he always helps people. He's really generous. I tell a story that I was on a plane one day with him. I fell asleep really early just before takeoff, which I do a lot. And when I woke up about seven or eight minutes into the trip, I'm sitting near an old lady. He he let the old lady sit in first class. He went and sat in economy. So he's done some beautiful things. I just I just I just love being around him. I love being around him more now because um, he's really really settled and you know he um, he loves his he smokes his weed every day, but which totally kills me when I'm around him because I hate the smell of all that stuff. But, um, look, I just think that being around him, um, yeah, it was, wow, the most amazing thing ever. He's this guy, he's like the Beatles, all these people screaming and he's in the car, running around with him. So I was blessed to be a part of that. Did you know him when he had his tiger? Of course I did. The bastard locked me in the cage with it. Scared the <laughs> shit out of me. Now, this is a story you're going to have to tell me, mate. Uh, so the first day when I went there, Tommy's got these two new tigers Takes me up to the cage and I'm, um, you know, like pretending I'm just looking at him like, you know, he jumps in the cage, come in, Jeff, come in, Jeff, come in with me. So I just go and stand beside him and then he locks the gate, locks me in there. And he's telling me, don't show him you're scared because they, they, they know if, if they, they sense fear and he'll, but he opened up and got me straight out. I think, I'm not sure if I shit my pants, but I'm, I may have. Is, is he the, because you've, you've seen how close, is he the best fighter you've seen? Um... Most probably the most exciting for and I believe, I, I honestly will say this without any doubt, yeah. if he stayed hungry and stayed focused, he would have been the greatest of all time. But fame and fortune changed him straight away too. One final question for you, and I always finish the podcast this way. We are blessed to have a lot of kids listen to the show. Jeff, for those that want to succeed in life, it doesn't matter what field, whether it's sport or the arts or sciences or maths, You've lived a, a successful and full life. For the youngsters listening, this is the hardest question, but the most important question I have for you, to give them advice as to how they can go about achieving success in their own lives, what would you say? Make your own decisions. Don't, don't be a follower. Don't have to be a leader, but just be yourself. If you don't want to do something, just don't do it. Let me guarantee you one thing. I've said no to drugs on a thousand occasions. Every time I say it, I'm so proud of myself because I look at what drugs and everything else does to people every day. And the other thing I'll tell these kids is one thing. Pick good people. Be around good people. Be around good friends. Take your friends to your mum and dad. Let your mum and dad meet them so they can, so they can say, hey, Jeff or Jack or Peter, you've got some little great friends there. Keep these good friends around you. Good, good people and good decisions will make a great life for you guys. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not perfect, but I, I do know what makes a perfect life. And too late for me to change it because I can't change mine. But if I can help you guys, I'm more than happy. Be around good people and make decisions that you want to. Don't be a follower. Do what you want to do. If you don't ever want to have a drink, don't have a drink. If you don't want to do a drug, don't do a drug. Don't try it because somebody else is doing it. Don't do it because everybody else is doing it. Be an individual. Just be yourself. Be as strong as you can. Great advice. Great podcast, mate. I really appreciate you. We don't know each other. The fact you've come on. And you've been so generous telling your story. I've loved every moment of it, mate. Thanks for joining me on the Howie Games. It's a ripping episode. I hope it was enjoyable for you as it was for me. It's, it's a cracker. Like I said, um, I love talking. I love trying to let people know that they can have a better life than I did and they can not make the mistakes that I've made. And there's a, 
It's not a perfect life, because you'll we'll all make mistakes, but, it, but we can make it as perfect as we want if we have good people around us and we, we make the right decisions. Good on you, Jeff. Stay safe. Thanks for joining me on the Howie Games. Thank you. Ooh, he's lived a life, has Jeff. What a genuine man. You never know. If you see him out at dinner at some stage, you may get a tasty free bottle of fancy wine. You never know. Thank you so much to Jeff for being so open and honest and reflective on his life. Thanks to his wife, Susie, for sorting out the technical side of life, to the ginger cat for teeing the whole thing up, and for Das because he got flogged on the golf course this week at the annual Howie Games Cup. And he was really flat about it, but he picked himself up as you need to, and he got the job done on you, Guru. All righty. Hope you all out there have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. Please recommend the show to someone else. It will help it to grow. Until next Thursday with one of the greatest golfers of all time, Mr. Gary Player. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try Listener